Hello and welcome to, yes, Colin, that's for you. Hello and welcome to another episode of Leadership of Fools. Uh, My name is Amanda Buckley and I am at the helm this morning and I'm very excited because I am joined by, as usual, the ever-present and ever-knowing Colin Beatty. Good morning, Colin. Ever-knowing. Thank you, Amanda Buckley. Makes makes me feel... Well, good inside. Thank you. (laughs) That's my aim for today. And the ever-knowing, ever-wonderful, not always present because we haven't seen you for a while, but we have got you back, Nat Fian. Welcome to the studio. Thanks so much, Amanda and Colin. It's great to be in the studio again. Can I just say something? This is actually, um, the topic today is imposter syndrome, which I know, Amanda, you're going to cover off in a minute in a minute. But we were actually in studio for the first time, for the first ever recording of Leadership of Fools, and the topic was imposter syndrome, and it was the 28th of February, 2018, and Nat, you were Oh, yeah. Pregnant. Yes, I would have been pregnant. Yes, pre-baby. Pre-baby. Yes, I would have been quite pregnant at the time. How old is Flo now? So she's not two yet. So I was thinking, yeah, so I was pregnant. I do now remember being heavily pregnant. Might have been in the final few weeks, actually. And Amanda... Amanda, you weren't with us. It was Rick Brown was hosting and the lovely Kate Tempe was with us as well. That's so. right. And I have since gotten rid of Rick Brown and that's why he's not here today. That's not true. That's not true. Nice. Rick. I was about to say nice work. I've been trying that for a while. And uh, a good intro to the topic as well, because I recall it may have been my first ever podcast it and was. I may have had a little bit of imposter syndrome just oh, being t- in the room at the studio. And now you... Oh, I feel a little bit more comfortable being here with... With my friends. You're a bit of a podcast veteran. I do love it. Yes. See, I now, no, I now feel comfortable. Not just Leadership of Fools. Oh, no, I've done a couple of others. Nice work. Yeah. Nice work. But Leadership of Fools is always my favourite. Oh, well played. <laughs> well right. played. I will slip you the money after the episode goes to air there, Nat. Thanks for that. Um, but yes, we are revisiting a very popular um, episode, um, but also just a, a very intrinsically... Um, meshed within all of us um, thing, which is imposter syndrome. I think most people suffer it, some people more than others, um, to the detriment of their careers often. Um, but we're going to shed a bit more light on it. I'm going to throw straight away to you, Colin. Let, let us demystify imposter syndrome. Uh, let us pronounce the word demystify. Um, but yes, what is it? What does it do? How does it... Uh, what is this thing, imposter syndrome? Uh, listen, I think it's... I think the simplicity of it is it is the feeling and it is the voice in the head that uh, has you wondering when you're going to get found out. Uh, Now, what causes it, uh, what circumstances lead to it, how it's kind of expressed, uh, so the things that we get worried most about, whether it's uh, I'm going to look stupid or I'm going to... Uh, be not smart enough to contribute or someone is more popular than me or whatever it might be. Uh, so the the way it's expressed and the source of it is always different. But fundamentally, it's that kind of sense that we have that big word that starts with F on our forehead, which is fraud. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like a fraud. Yeah. 
I'm glad uh, that's for the word because yes, that's what that's I right. thought the word was. <laughs> yeah, so I'm always, always worried with an F word. Can I just tell you a very quick side story? I don't even know whether we'll leave this one in, but um, my son, when he was about uh, 14 months old, or no, when, when can they? When I was going to say, talk? when can they talk? <laughs> He's 17 now. how many now. words he strung together at one time. No, he was actually much older. What am I? What am I thinking? He was probably even at school where he came home and he says, "I know the F word. I now know <laughs> if it." If he had said that at 14 months, we would have been having a conversation back then. <laughs> but you know what the F word was? Vagina. Oh, no. <laughs> oh bless. Um, Will Beatty, if you're out there, um, your dad has put that on air. Yes, so I know. That, oh, God bless him. God bless him. But Nat, you and I, in a funny way, this podcast has come back for two reasons. You, you mentioned Amanda. One is it, it's been extremely popular and made ever so popular by two People, and I'm sure there's more than this, but Alana Shepard and Ruth Young have been phenomenal. They've just been advocating for this podcast, sharing it with a lot of people. So big shout out to them. But it's not just about the popularity of the podcast. It's our experiences and particularly mine. When I say mine in the sense of working with a lot of organizations, the word, the topic comes up. And when I actually throw back the name, imposter syndrome, the reaction in the room is one, a sense of, Ah, you know, like a a relief, a, a breath, um, a pausing. How, how, you know, the fact that 70% of people at some point do experience some imposter syndrome mean that it's something that most of us experience. And so it's real. And I think from doing the podcast last time is we talked a lot about it, I, I guess, in terms of the definition of what it was. And I guess, how do you overcome it? But one of the things that you and I reflected on, Colin, was whether or not we got deep enough into actually the personal story, into the personal stories that are a bit more exposing. Yeah, that's to what it really is, isn't dive it? into imposter syndrome and, and give people that real sense of what is happening behind the scenes. Yeah, it certainly. I loved, it. like you said, Colin. I wasn't hosting that episode, um, so I listened to it, and it was one of those things that. It, it's where worlds collide for me. It's a human thing. It's not. It, it's not any particular business. It's not any particular field that feels it. Uh, it's. It's something that happens to people. And I think even outside of careers, it happens to parents. It happens to um, you know, in any sort of relationship, it happens. Am I doing this right? Is this? Am I going to get found out that I'm not this perfect girlfriend? Um, I am a perfect girlfriend. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so relative to just humans. The human experience, you know, so you're right. And at no time, you know, it happens right throughout your life. And even the people that you look at as really successful, you know, behind the scenes, they're probably suffering it from it too. Oh, whoever coined the term, you know, because uh, that... This shout out to them. Yeah, shout out to them. Because I think it's something that now that it's named, we can talk about it. But before it was given a title, I think it was just one of those things that people were flying blind, hoping, hoping they wouldn't get caught out. They wouldn't get found out. That's the thing, isn't it? So what's our... The three of us, what's our individual experiences with it? Maybe, Nat, do you want to kick off? You um, and, and it's actually important for me to say this, like you, uh, uh, the fact that you've been on a number of podcasts is because people reach out to you as a uh, an executive, a senior female, a leader in business, uh, an expert. Uh, so, you know, they would, they would be looking at you and saying, well, you've got, you've got it made, you, you know your stuff. So... Thank you, to start with. I think what's really fascinating for me about this topic is it's not something that I have heard about and been able to overcome. Mm-hmm. It's something that I still go through, but I know how to manage um, on a, you know, whenever it arises for me. So 
I understand it, but in terms of the instances where I've experienced it, I experience it when I'm invited to do a media story and talk to some amazing journalist or I'm asked to speak at an event. Often I have those thoughts that are, wow, like how did I get here? Why, why am I in this situation? And I, I think for me, importantly, um, it's thinking about what creates the chain of thought. So I'm going to share a couple of stories with you around where I've experienced imposter syndrome and then perhaps later on I can talk through how I've been able to overcome it. Brilliant. So I think there are two different types of imposter syndrome. And so for me, I know that there's one type. And for example, I was invited to a um, Victorian government roundtable to talk about tax reforms to support small and medium-sized enterprises. Of course you were. Yeah. And I'm, I'm already sweating. Oh, my, my palms are sweating. Right. <laughs> and, and I went along to this thing. I researched for like three days. I was terrified thinking how on earth Am I in a position where I'm going to speak <laughs> to a round table? I'm not going to have anything to say. They're going to think that I'm a fraud. They're going to all of a sudden realise that I have no idea about small business, what's driving tax, what needs to be reformed. And I so distinctly remember going and being absolutely terrified. And I got there and, you know, the conversation around the table was so high level. All my fears just immediately flew out the window but to me, in some ways, that type of imposter syndrome, to me, is almost legitimate. You haven't been in that scenario before. It is foreign to you. Tax is not a subject of expertise for me. So for me, the learning from that is, is that it's okay to feel like an imposter when a scenario that you're in is completely foreign to you. So well, that's that absolute unknown of also going, I've not been in that situation, even if even if it was the area of expertise. I've not been in this situation. I'm not really sure how the day's going to go. Um, will it get thrown to me to have a word? Do I just, you know, add something when I think of it? It's, yeah, it's and, so valid. And the fear under that is looking stupid or it undoing the good work. So that's where I sort of think, you know what, it's probably reasonable in that situation that I you're feel You're also representing your organisation as well. So you're representing... Absolutely. Brand, a brand and, you know, important. Yeah, representing MYOB where there are people who do know a lot about tax. And um, so so So, that's sort of one scenario. But to give you a more personal one, and it's really interesting reflecting on this, when I started at MYOB, it was the first time that I'd moved into an executive role, Mm -hmm. which was something that I really wanted to do and I was excited about. And I clearly remember the first couple of executive meetings that I went to I actually had no idea what they were talking about because they were talking about the nuances of the business that looking back on, of course, they take a long time to understand. But I remember sitting at the table with those specific words of they're going to find me out. They're going to realize that that I'm the wrong person. I don't know this stuff to the point where, and I haven't necessarily told anybody about this, probably six months into the job, That imposter syndrome was so present for me that I actually had a meeting with my manager, uh, the COO at the time, and actually sat down and told him why I was the wrong person for the job and that perhaps he should go and find somebody else who had all of these experiences. And that's because that imposter syndrome was so real for me and I didn't feel like I knew enough. It felt like everybody else knew more than me. And I think what was driving that was this need to feel like I knew everything and that I didn't know everything and therefore I talked myself into a 
firm belief that I was therefore the wrong person and in fact said to him, I think you need somebody else, somebody with a different skill set to me. Maybe you should go and look for them. I'm giving you an option out here. <gasps> you Charlie bucketed him. He was Willy Wonka and you gave back the gobstopper and he said, wait, you're perfect. You're perfect for the role. Because oh, you admitted you, it. That's, that's what I think that is. Yeah, that's good. I like that. <laughs> Jelly, I, just, I have to get that word out. Charlie yeah, that was... bucketed it. I think that's right. I didn't do it's it right. It's dangerous territory. That's um, amazing. Can we unpack the conversation? Yeah. So I'm curious about what your manager said to you. So I'd say the first thing that I recall was he looked quite confused right. at the time. <laughs> I guess they had appointed me, you know, it, it, thinking that I did have some skills and leadership qualities yes. that could provide some advantage. <laughs> I think the work that I'd already done perhaps also gave them the confidence that I was the right person. So I think the questions that he really asked me was why I felt like that. Mm -hmm. And it was understanding what I felt I would need to be more successful than I believed that I was at that time. So for him, it was more about what's missing around you that that you think you're not set up for success. Um, And what feedback have we given you or not given you that has not enabled you to overcome these thoughts. And that was probably a big part of it was, you know, I think the role of any organisation, you know, peer, manager, any person starting a new role needs feedback. Oh, yeah, and totally. And and it shouldn't even matter in to what level because I think that's the thing is the higher level we get, there's an assumption that you know what you're doing and that you don't need to learn anything and that you don't need any feedback because you're at a high level. That's probably where you need it just as much, if not more, because you are at a high level and you need to feel like you can captain the ship or lead that team. That's right. And I think as a, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but as a manager, sometimes people don't hear the feedback, especially Mm. when they've got imposter syndrome. If you're questioning and you don't have the confidence or you're questioning your skill set, I think the, the good conversation to have with a new employee is... How do I best deliver you with feedback? It's the same as feedback that's always positive, doesn't necessarily work for people because then they can't see that it's genuine. That's right. And so I sort of look back on that equation and think that for me it was really about being able to express what I needed in terms of feedback, what I needed to be successful. And for me I actually needed to get it out so that he could reassure me that actually we don't expect you to know everything. It's okay that you don't know the answer to every single question, but what can I do to help you? So what I also like about that story, and I think it will play a bit of a theme today, is I almost sense that your manager normalised it, like it wasn't, uh, didn't buy into your, what's... Uh, Completely. <laughs> did yeah. not buy into that. Yeah. Whether Maybe because they weren't capable of buying into that, but that's another story um, in the sense of uh, we're not needing to be psychologists in the business workplace but did normalise it in the sense of, okay, what aren't we giving you? Uh, what can what can we do more of to set you up for success? That's right. And, and I think, you know, it's that fine balance. You don't want to overplay into it. You acknowledge it and then provide the tips or the, you know, the ways to overcome it and to set that person on the course. I think for me, in terms of actually getting it out, was all that really needed to happen for somebody to say, in that situation, it was, you do not need to know the detail of we've been here for 10 years yes um, we do not need you to know every single detail and for me to just hear that that was okay and yeah. I could focus on the things that um, on learning 
uh, and also about the things I did know. It's funny, isn't it, that idea that you've been hired to do something, and this, I think, is all employment. You've been hired to do something, possibly because of previous experience, but you haven't worked in that place before, that organisation before. So, yeah, there's definitely going to be a, a, a moment where there has to be the catch-up of learning not just what the new job is, but what that company is, what the culture is, what the expectations are, all of those things that come into play. Um, but we just think we should be able to go in and do something because, I, I don't know, is that because society expects that, like business expects that? What, why would we do that, do you think? So I think it's really interesting in thinking about, and I've been thinking about this over the last week, is actually the process of getting a job involves selling yourself to some extent. So you go into an interview scenario where you have to sell everything that you've done and sort of prove to the person that you've, to the people who are interviewing you, that you do have the experience, you've got the skills and capability. That doesn't necessarily actually then set you up for success when you start in the organisation because to me that's a huge part of imposter syndrome is you go through an interview process, you have to sell yourself and tell every, you know everybody that you've done all of these things. Then you move into the organisation based on what you believe is that sale. So of course you have to execute that. And so then I think that does create almost an element of the imposter syndrome inherently within that process because then you go in thinking well they've bought me believing that I've done all of these things and that I'm confident and that I believe I can do this so I must and that that harks back to that idea of when we go for that job um and I believe this is more of a female thing that we try to mark off 95 percent at least of the things the criteria and men I think it's around 60 percent they're happy to go they're happy to go yeah I tick some of those boxes I'll go for the interview but women need to tick all the boxes before we'll even apply for the job and and the key uh difference between men and women in that regard that I think does link to imposter syndrome is that in by the definition of confidence Uh, the definition of confidence for women is that people who are confident know everything or know more than they do. So how we define what you need to do to be successful is to know more, whereas men have a more attitudinal uh, view of how to be confident and successful. So I think you can start to understand while it does uh, impact both men and women, you can also start to understand that it does impact more women because from a starting point, their belief of success is they need to know everything. Yeah. And if you uncover imposter syndrome and feeling like a fraud, it ultimately sits that you don't know enough or that you're not good enough, which is all just about confidence. Oh, completely. And one thematically coming into today, I was really hoping that we would never throw back the pressure onto anyone to build their confidence because like, it, I mean, and that is a, you know, clearly that's a personal journey that everyone goes through and you know, um, this is not meant to be condescending in any way, but I genuinely wish everyone well with their personal journey around it, finding their sense of self. Um, so I'm just going to bring up some other words like uh, in the balance for better episode, the international women's day episode, um, I remember both Simone and Kate talking about the word equanimity. And, uh, I'm glad you said that, yeah, not me. That's right. <laughs> Bring so, up that word and then tell me what it means. That's right. Well, what it does mean, and, and, and interestingly, as an, a listener to that particular episode, it was an instant moment of going, I don't know that word. What is that word all about? And that word is about a sense of composure, uh, a sense of uh, self-balance, a sense of, a sense of self. Yeah. Uh, so... We will probably come back to that thematically, but I want to kind of go right out there in terms of 
what do organizations need to do? I want to kind of jump from that personal story to an organizational story. So one of the things that must happen is we can't rely on uh, all of these people processes or all of these inherent biases that means someone can speak themselves into a job. Yeah, great. Uh, I'm like I'm liking yeah, that. I, you know, if I could swear, I'd swear right now. Like that is, that's crap. Like it's actually crap that uh, in in the days that we live in in 2019, leading into 2020, we are not sophisticated enough to see through that uh, set up processes that actually find genuine talent. Genuine skills, we assess those, we create environments where people can succeed because everyone, not everyone, there are people out there who can talk a very big game. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I witness them all of the time um, and they're often in my field as well. Well, I think they're in... They're in a lot of fields. They're in my field. They're definitely in my field. As a and, performer? Yeah, as a performer and as a, a teacher of improv, um, it's taken me a really long time to get to a point where I felt validated to put my hand up as a teacher. And the thing with, yes, you can go and learn how to teach. That's a thing. You can do that. But improvisers and, and actors, you don't necessarily start out thinking, I'll teach, but of course... We need money. So it becomes comes into play. And also it's a, such a specific field that even if you went and got a, you know, d- dip head, um, it doesn't necessarily mean you can teach that subject. It's, it's a very specific subject. However, I felt even after close to 20 years, well, I was probably close to 15 years of actual experience that I still wasn't validated enough to say, you know what, I can probably teach you some stuff. And the thing is, it, it's learning. It is very much a learn on the job as you're doing it. So you have to start somewhere, but I wanted to start as the experienced teacher. Yes. I didn't want to start from the beginning as someone who has to plod their way through a lesson plan and have people say, Oh, you talk too much in that one. Or we actually wouldn't, we wanted more feedback. Of course, that's what you, had you to happen. You want to do a good job. You actually want that's to right. teach. So I wanted <laughs> to be an expert before I'd even started. So I just put that off. I don't think I can teach. I don't think I can teach. And it actually did take um, a leader in an organization here in Melbourne to really say, Actually, it's like if you're not teaching by the end of the year, I'll be very disappointed because we need you to be in that pool of teachers. And, and the reality is, is if you want to be successful, you have to put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. And so making those little steps as uncomfortable as they feel are really, really important because if you don't, somebody else will. That's and so right. then you're looking at the people around you and they seem to be successful. And it's really just that they're willing to put themselves into yes. uncomfortable situations. They validate themselves as well. This is a journey I'm willing to go on because I'm worth it. And I think if we don't say that to ourselves, we won't. And there's so many teachers of you know, certain things here, I mean, all over the world, but, you know, specifically in Melbourne, there are actual improv teachers who have done five years of improv and then they're teaching it because the business model is set up to, I've done all the courses. I know the curriculum I can teach now. I was like, I need, I need to make sure that I'm taking care of these students, that I'm offering them something valid, that they will come out of this, a better, a better improviser, or at least hungry to learn more. So I was putting too many things on top of it and setting myself up for failure so that I wouldn't even try to succeed. So yeah, it took a bit, but then turns out I'm pretty good at it. (laughs) Yes, you are. And and I am so much more fulfilled now that I'm on the journey. And the other thing is you're aware of the potential gaps and weaknesses. So I think there's a really fine balance there between 
you want to take the risks and push yourself forward. But you've also consciously thought of all of the things that you want to be able to provide to those students and to make it successful. And so you're going to be more aware of trying to be able to learn those things and bring them in along the way. And that's much better. You're going to be far more successful because you're aware of those things than saying, right, I know everything that I need to do and I'm going to teach you this way not be aware of your gaps. Yeah, right. I feel I feel really good right now. Thanks, Nat. <laughs> she was looking at me in the eyes as she said that. I felt I It's felt a mic good. drop moment. It's, we nailed it. I um I want to circle back. Can I can I take one of your leads, Nat, around the topic feedback? I just want to do a little piece on that and then circle back to you around you said you've learnt to manage it. Mm-hmm. So um I'm really fascinated with that. So feedback just really uh, Feedback is a skill set that, I, if anything, I don't think has got better within organisations. It may well have got worse. Oh, my experience crossing the worlds of uh, feedback-heavy culture, improv yes. performance, and uh, <laughs> working for the government where the feedback is, can you not give feedback because we don't want to upset anyone? Uh, I'm going to say there's a, a quite a great divide there. Yes. Yes. So again, this is this is something to do with the obligation of an organisation, uh, and at the same time, any time that I've had any sort of educational role or consulting role in that topic, I'm asking to create an environment where we can be accurate. So if you, the three of us, run this podcast, there will be things that we'll have done well, and there's things we can improve around it, and our ability to even hear from our producer here matt who might say you know offer a couple of things from a place of he's nodding he's got some stuff that's right he's got, he's got some, some stuff, stuff he wants to say you know, something <laughs> uh from a place of generosity and a place of actually wanting us to be better and our ability to be accurate about it so not hear it through the lens of it was a complete disaster like it was all wrong we are hopeless and also not to you know drink the kool-aid around it so there's something about our ability to I be, said I was in for a penny and for a pound, right. but <laughs> it's about being accurate. And I think the individual obligation is to have enough of a sense of self to not over exaggerate and over place, put over reliance on what someone else is saying to you. Um, the comparison point, uh, that sense of a self to say, I'm actually good enough. I can work on this. I can keep improving, um, and that's the individual journey. And the organisations attempt to be much more accurate, which includes finding talent. Uh, and I say finding talent in the most surprising places, because it won't be the people that take up most airtime. Mm. But we'll come back to that. <laughs> and, and and I'll take some airtime now. No, over to you, Nat. <laughs> What's the question? How you alluded to that, and I loved your sense of. Imposter syndrome takes place a couple of different ways in your experience. One where it's actually somewhat valid in the sense you're doing something that you haven't done before and others where it's kind of just over-exaggerated in some respect. And then you said you kind of learnt to deal with it or manage it. I'm curious about how you've learnt to manage it. Okay. So there's a few things that I've learnt along the journey. So I think even learning that fact that a that's generally a female's definition of how to be successful is that they need to know everything. And so even experts still believe that they don't know everything. And so I think knowing that for me helped a lot. 
Um, I've got some tips and, and sort of things that I've done uh, that often when I mentor people, I do now as well. The, the question I often ask myself is what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, because by great. understanding what the worst thing is that can happen, generally it's not that bad. Yeah, it certainly like negates the, the impending doom, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah, it's just not that bad. And look, the big one for me, and I have spoken about this before, was this just this huge realisation for me, and we touched on it, is that if I don't put myself out there, somebody else will. Yeah, so right. if I'm happy to sit back and watch everybody else move ahead and move into these roles or tackle these challenges that ultimately I, I know I want to do, that either I could sit back and watch other people step into the uncomfortable or I needed to do it. So therefore, when things are uncomfortable, now I deliberately step into them because I know the more that I practice doing that, the, the more comfortable I'll become with it. The other big real, realisation that I had and was um, that, that feeling imposter syndrome, feeling like a fraud and feeling like I didn't have enough confidence at times in my career has just been like a really safe security blanket. And it's very easy not to step into the unknown, not to make yourself feel a little bit uncomfortable. If you can hide behind this shield of I'm not confident enough or maybe I'm not good enough or whatever it is. And so in recognising that that I, I didn't really think that that was good enough for myself and I recognised that I was using that almost as an excuse. Yes. Yeah. And I just had to let that go yeah. and say, you know, all these things are going to hold you back. Yeah. Uh, if other people can overcome them, they're going to be able to do things that you're not. And I just didn't want that for myself. Because you're worth it. Dare I say something so cliche, but you're worth more than the fear. And, and that's right. And ultimately, I think though it's those that sense of self, the confidence, the belief and the value that you have in yourself that you need to overcome to overcome imposter syndrome. So it's not that I don't suffer from it now. Um, I'm just very aware of it. And I know the questions to ask myself to be able to overcome it. And I find that through mentoring as well is working with people on uncovering what those real fears are and helping people understand um, what's driving them there is just a way. It's just that con- it's being conscious of it. And I think you mentioned that before, Colin. Well, what I especially love about those examples is where almost, in fact, I, I, I believe that imposter syndrome is a label um, and that label actually normalizes things. And it's kind of like that sense when people talk about maybe they're been experiencing anxiety and all of a sudden even a GP saying yes you do have anxiety like it gives you a sense of relief <laughs> like it oh, okay I've got something I can do something about it yeah and imposter syndrome I think is a bit like that acknowledge it define yeah. it so that then you can let it go that's yes. right and you can then redefine it yourself and it's funny talking about a word like confidence because for me and it's probably taken me a while to do it but certainly um, the last five years where I have been stepped into the world of teaching and then really stepped into the world of teaching, one of the things I'm very confident to do is say, I don't know all the answers, but I can do my best. If you've got something, I'll find out. And what a powerful statement is I don't know. Yeah. And so back to your point, Colin, around what can organisations do, we need to normalise and actually be able to say, I don't know. And yes. I don't think that that's a phrase that I hear enough in organisations Generally, if people don't know, they just don't say anything. So in a meeting scenario, if you don't know, you just stay quiet. How much more effective would we be as organisations if our leaders and in our meetings, people were able to freely say, 
I don't know. So that then if somebody does know the answer, they speak up. Everybody gets the clarity of what knowing looks like. There's so much power in that phrase, I don't know. That's right, because we but shouldn't. That's right, because we shouldn't know everything. What's the point? You know, we wouldn't have you, any sort of adventures if we knew everything. Um, and you just can't. Yeah. And, and that's why you have different subject matter experts in organisations. They know about a specific skill. I think their imposter syndrome becomes when, as the te- you are, you are expected to be the expert, and you're there for a specific reason and so you put the hat that you put on is well I'm the subject matter expert here that's why I got this job so I must know yeah whereas that's you know we've got to take we've got to take that hat off as well and that expectation where even the subject matter expert can say I don't know that's right but even imagine the value you could give a person if at the table they're the ones that say I do know that that's actually my field rather than having the complete lack of silence like the sorry the complete silence or the one person just claiming it yeah 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 I've got that leave that with me what if they just said yeah I don't know and then someone else who's never been able to speak up before has the space to actually say this is actually what I'm really good at this is what I really want to be good at and this is where I think the I think your opening lead um, Amanda was the fact that this is such a human thing so the human part of it that, um, and one of the connections I've already made is that, that Nat, you've made this about the learning experience. Like what does it feel like to be outside of your comfort zone? Well, most times it feels pretty crappy to be outside of your comfort zone. So there's something in it that's hardwired for us to keep us safe. Yeah. And even that word imposter syndrome can be a label that, or a crutch even that, that might hinder us. But there's this other part of human, you know, this sense of how do I, get to belong here. Uh, so whatever environment I'm in, I'm trying to, you know, pick assimilate, up on all the, yeah. assimilate, pick up on all the clues. Uh, you know, all of a sudden I'm talking the cool kids talk and that's not even me, but I'm suddenly doing it. No, I no, cool just kids, I like it. <laughs> um, but at the board table, it's not the cool kids talk. It's the talk of the very seasoned experience executive. And that person is was raw materials before they were what you're witnessing there yeah yeah they were you know they did have that first time experience that you were right. everyone everyone's, has it everyone's yeah. been there yeah. and at that boardroom or in any meeting in fact what is so um non-productive is rather than somebody saying i don't know yes. which is scenario one so scenario one is silence scenario two is somebody being brave enough to say, I don't know. But the third option there that you often see is people kind of just make something up or oh, say yeah. something for the sake of it. Yeah, that's or not repeat actually something valuable. that's already been said. Yeah. That's right. That's not valuable and probably just wastes everybody's time. Yes, yes. I love that that idea of yeah, just remembering everybody starts out a novice. Everybody has their first day uh, in so many areas. So it feels like a really good moment, uh, Colin, to suggest that all organisations hire improvisers to run a workshop about uh, getting out of your comfort zone. We, we live in that. Like that is the thing of, for a group of people whose uh, bread and butter is to run into the unknown, to be uncomfortable, to see what the possibilities are. The, the very first thing we have to teach people is that thing that you said, Nat, which is what's the worst that can happen? So we run exercises that purposefully are set up to have them fail. Yes. <laughs> and then we laugh and say, what happened? No one got injured. You all laughed and you all want to have another go. Uh, so it's that 
constant thing. Anyway, contact our Leadership of Fools for uh, improv classes with Amanda Buckley. I'm more than happy. Amanda Buckley, that is. That's I'm right. on the go. No selling. And, and, uh, oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry. sorry. That's right. um, oh, I forgot. Principles. Uh, uh, beep. And beep. Colin, can I ask you a question? Sure. Because you obviously have a career that spans in going into organisations all different organisations and working with executives and boards to help them on a whole range of issues. But no doubt at some point in your career as well, you've experienced imposter syndrome. Um, And going into new organisations, you've got to reset every single time you go in. So so what are some of the experiences that you've had? So a couple of pieces here. So the the word is absolutely. In fact, uh, even the the name of my organisation that talks about things like leadership consultant um you know there's moments where i go leadership like am i really like am i just one of those classic teachers that can just teach this stuff but not actually live it so there's those questions i think i on the last imposter syndrome episode i talked about growing up in a small country town and how much that's there's a voice in my head that always says don't be a you know don't be a wanker. Don't be something you're not. Remember, remember where you came from. Yeah, right. Uh, so there's those pieces, and they they have at times grounded me, and I could say that's great. But they've also hindered me in terms of not being prepared to step up. Can I tell a story? And this might story might go. You're looking just, at me as if to say yeah. it involves you, Amanda, and it's going to be exposing. That's what I- <laughs> I'm. I kept on thinking about does is does this story relate? And I think it does. We'll let you know, won't we, Nat? Yeah, we'll, well, we'll sure. let you know. I think it does. So, um, I've had an imposter syndrome about: Am I actually manly enough? All right? Am I actually? And I'm. I'm almost certain this has come from the environment I grew up in, which uh, it was celebrated to be good at football, good at cricket, essentially good at sport. And I didn't realise until I was about 16 16 years old when I went to a small little church hall and actually saw someone putting on a play and I actually saw two of my family friends as adults up there in that play and I was moved and touched and in tears and suddenly realised an artistic expression was available and I never knew that was even possible. So um, I'm going to tell you this really quick story, but it, it sits with me all of the time. Um, uh, I just feel like you're the lead <laughs> character in Footloose now. I don't know why. I just feel like you're going to dance angrily through something. And I don't know. I am um, I'm a person that gets really freaked out and very anxious about doing um, so-called male things. And the male thing that I'm referring to here was being able to back a trailer oh so, yeah uh, this oh, is there's nodding there's nodding, there's nodding. <laughs> there's nodding. don't want to jackknife it that's, that's the right thing, isn't it? so um there was something about that and, and especially because we went camping a lot as younger as a family and my dad was actually very skilled at it so much so that he could get quite a big caravan into a very small space and when i finally got my license uh, he actually handed me the keys and he said, oh, it's about time I taught you how to back a trailer, back it, you know, and he, oh. but this is how he taught me. Yeah. He essentially backed the trailer in and he says, that's how you do it and gave me the keys. Like that was the, it was like a modeling moment, like just follow my lead and I had no idea. Now I'm going to cut to another point in time where my, 
son, Will, who I've mentioned already once today, was actually 18 months old. And I know this because he and just was... just saying vagina. I know. Don't say vagina. That's right. And he was in the... Uh, he was in a baby seat uh, and we had, this is a long convoluted story, but we had essentially just taken a trailer to the tip and got it back. And um, it was Nerissa's brother's trailer and we'd actually damaged it. We'd actually hit it on, uh, hit it onto a fence on the way. It had caused so much stress. I couldn't drive it in be- to the tip because I was so embarrassed that the guys there would say, well, you can't back it in. Narissa had to grab the keys back off me. So it was it was invoking all this sense of I am I don't know. If I should be in therapy right yeah. now. It was so confronting for me. If you now picture this, we have got uh wheels in the back seat. We are in a suburban street. We're trying to back the trailer back in. And I have got so furious and so angry that I've slammed uh, the car door, walked out, Narissa's stayed in the car, and I've gone to the other side of the street, um, furious, like the fury that was building up inside me. This story culminates with a guy in a hotted up vehicle who does a burnout in our street at that same time. And what do I do in my heightened state of rage? And I'm kind of talking about you, I didn't know where I was going to go there in, in the terms of this, but the imposter syndrome for me also invokes a sense of rage that I'm not good enough and I'm not manly enough and I'm not what I should have been. Um, that I not only shook my head at this guy as he did a burnout, I yelled at him and you know swore at him. And so what does he do? Oh, he gets out of the car. He gets out of the car, slams the door. And this was a moment of you know bordering on violence because he came running at me all i did was um freeze because as humans we usually have choices like we're going to fight or we're going to run and in my case i just braced myself uh you know waiting to be hit and he was calling me a a yuppie like an effing yuppie like that pictures you yuppie's not used so much anymore um but he was screaming at me and then there was a wheelie bin a series of wheelie bins actually next to us. And he started to kick those wheelie bins. So you can picture the scene. What does Nerissa do? And the reason for telling this story is because Nerissa does the stuff that um, has this strong sense of self, this strong sense of priority. My admiration for her is amazing. And I learn so much from her every single day. She gets out of the car. She has will in her hands. And she walks up to this situation. And throws Will at him. No. <laughs> no. And she says to the guy, this is my husband. The reason he's so frustrated is because he can't back a trailer. We're wondering whether you can help us back the trailer. Wow. And she grabs the... Oh, sorry. He says, of course, of course. She hands over the keys. He gets in the car. He backs the trailer in. He gets out of the car. He looks at me. I look at him. We just have this moment where we then look away and we say, we're never going to talk about this ever again. Yeah. Um, Because we got made to be look like the fools and the little boys we actually were. Um, And so coming into today, I went, I had such a flawed, and I've always had such a flawed take on what it is to be a man. 
and it you know, comes up in all the weirdest of ways and so angry at times and so much fury. And whenever I do, I remind myself of that story that just says, just, I don't even know how to say it, just put things in perspective, just remind yourself of what's important, what's not. Um, and uh, there's such a valuable lesson in that as well. I love that story around what you see in terms of the behaviour is often caused by something that you've got no visibility of and no idea. So if I think about that from a practical life perspective or in an organisational context, that is about understanding seeing or hearing behaviour and actually going to the effort to find out what sits behind yeah. that. Yep. And so whether that's somebody's imposter syndrome that might be presenting in terms of somebody who might be looking defensive, somebody might who come might come across as really angry as you were um, using bad language or whatever it is, is if you can actually unpick what's happening behind the scenes to create that scenario, that's powerful for everybody. And then but good on Narissa. Yeah, well, it's amazing. Well, what it comes down to is the human connection um, and the, and I'm picturing now the boardroom when somebody actually says, I don't know, and they're not made a full light out of, and they're actually somewhat, you know, the next person actually says, I don't know either. Yeah. Like, like we, they're, they're the leadership moments. Yeah. We need to <laughs> embrace it. And, and that's that role modeling though, as well. If you see someone in a situation, uh, in, in, in a position of authority who happily says, um, with confidence, because that's that's the thing. The confidence is to say I don't know, rather than I know it everything. Is. And and what are those as a you know whether it's as an organisation, as a society, those underlying things that we almost expect of people that when you strip it back, it's actually unreasonable to expect of people. Yeah, right? so it is unreasonable. Is it reasonable to expect that every man knows how to back a trailer? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, it's not. That's no. right. That's so true. Is it okay for every man not to know how to back a trailer? It is. Um, but there is some underlying expectation that does sit behind there that starts with ourselves yes. and well, what we expect of ourselves. That's right. Because we're all in that sense, then we're all imposters. And we, if we don't acknowledge our own flaws or our own spaces, then we can't acknowledge it in others. And that's where we should be. And, and would you rather understand that you have the feeling of an imposter, but step into unknown situations so that you can continue to learn, right? And that's a learning mindset so that you can acknowledge you don't know how to back the trailer, but put yourself into a situation so then you learn how to do it rather than just never put yourself in a situation where you need to back a trailer. People are amazing. And, and that story actually has the happiest of endings. I told that story, this is some years ago at a leadership program, which was a series of modules, like a series of offsites. And at the second offsite, after having told that story and it really resonated for people because it kind of, and it's, it's got almost nothing to do with the story. It's about the, how important it was to me. It allowed others to tell their own stories and guess what happened at that next workshop? They rock up with a trailer and they actually, we spent a good two hours of the workshop un, unplanned for uh, where everyone helped each other out, including me, to be able to back, back that trailer in. It became oh, that, that could have so backfired, symbolic. Though. That, that it could have, have been, been really sick. <laughs> but it was so bloody lovely. Yeah, how great is that? <laughs> I, I mean, that's. 
I, I actually, backing a trailer is flipping hard. I was professionally trained for a job to do it and I still can't. But all of a sudden you discovered that you probably weren't the only one who yeah. do it. Everybody learned something from the situation and then you could go out as a group and you could all back trailers together. Yeah. <gasps> I'm going to, today is the day, listeners, today is the day to say, I don't know. I want you to proudly, boldly, loudly say, I don't know when you don't know something today. Yeah, that's right. It's be be accurate. Oh, no, no, that's, I know that sounds really boring, but be accurate. Like if you're feeling uh, like you do know something, express it. If you yeah. don't know something, express that. Yeah. Like I think that's something which goes back to what sort of environment are we creating in organisations where people can't do that. And that's where it all comes back to. Yes. Underlying it is trust. Yes. And you build trust through relationships. Yes. And imposter syndrome is more present when people move into a new role or they're starting in an organization. And that's because people don't know them and you haven't formed that trust. Yes. And so uh, to me, the takeout as a manager, running a division, running a business is if you've got people moving into new roles, if you've got people starting in the organization, how do you actually get to know them to be able to create the trust that then you can give them valuable feedback or that they can be open and transparent with you? Yes. And that's something that I think as organisations we look over a little bit. Oh, trust is just uh, imperative in improv and it's the idea of we assume trust. So we don't wait to earn it. We don't wait to see if it's there. We assume it's there. And then if it's not, feedback. Um, But by assuming the trust, we can both be on the same page really quick, like the new people that you're performing with. Uh, So that idea of going into a company where you could, or a position where you can assume the trust is there to be yourself, to be honest, to be authentic. And then if it's not there, that's when the feedback would come in. But it's an interesting thing. Trust is the commodity that we all desperately work with and want to work with um and where, in, the, where there's trust things happen well then you can trust to be vulnerable yeah right? that's so right. if you've got trust you can be vulnerable that's if right. you don't have trust you can't be vulnerable that's right and so exposing or having a discussion around imposter syndrome all these doubts or whatever it is that you might be feeling is just not possible if there's no trust and that's what happens when you start in a new business often is they don't know you so you can't it's harder to be vulnerable so we've got to give people the opportunity that's right so and i do believe um and again i'm, I'm kind of so enthusiastic about giving this episode, deepening it, which we've definitely done, but also trying to give some answers. One of the things, and I will endorse Impro Beyond Belief as a, I've learned so much. I've learned the principles of assuming trust, making each other look good, which is so fundamental to doing that. Like I know if I'm not at my best today on the podcast, that the two of you will look after me and vice versa. Like having that sensation in any team is just going to... Yeah, and, and if we're all bad, Matt's going to dub over that, with all the different voices, aren't you, Matt? That's right. <laughs> Editing magic. Uh, and, the, and the number one... I mean, you kept on talking about the number one things you learn. You learn the overcoming of fear, but you learn that through listening. Yeah. So it's the listening to each other that actually becomes so fundamental. So these are really important things. So if I want to go back to you, Nat, and maybe I suspect in our last few yeah, minutes we'll... we kind of close this off, but... I do want to say organizations have an especially a duty of care to create that trusting, open, safe environment and offer some role modeling. So if you've got executives who've been experienced, their ability to tell stories about um, it wasn't always this way. Like um, I do feel much more confident now. I do know the business. I do feel confident in my skills, but it hasn't always been that way. But they are particularly... uh, 
apt in specially transition moments like new executive, like first-time leader, like first three to six months within an organisation? So I think there's a huge role for managers to play. Yes. I think there's a role for the organisation to play in terms of, to your point, uh, recognising and enabling that. You know, as you were saying that, I just reflected on... Um, it's interesting. So I worked in an organisation where at a sort of large senior management offsite, the executive was prepared to sit in the middle of the room and take any question that came to them. And so that was a moment where they couldn't predict the questions that were coming and they were willing to be vulnerable and they were willing to say, I don't know. I've also worked in organisations where that was proposed as an idea and the executive said, no, I don't really want to do that. And that was because they didn't want to look stupid and they didn't want to be able to say in front of their people, I don't know. So I think that uh, an executive that can role model that and put it forward is is really, really important. I think the role of the manager in understanding this is also critically. So in terms of management skills, um, there's a role that everybody plays in that. And then I think from a principal's perspective, you know, the immediate takeaway for me, I was thinking, oh, you know, all these businesses that have culture days and induction days, what a great topic to just tackle with people. I mean, rather than just mm. teaching them things about the organisation, yes. imagine the principles of what we expect from you as you're starting and what do we also know about some of the challenges that you'll face. Well, that's right, because you, in, in many ways you also have to unpack what came from the organisation before them to come yes. into. Yes. So they might be wearing you know, those insecurities as like, you know, as the blanket that keeps them safe because of what happened to them at previous jobs. So it's like moving forward. The I had a student not that long ago who uh, I called something out in a class and yes. um, he, he made a flippant joke and I could see through the joke. And so I just named what it was and said, no, I'm, I'm telling you to do it like this. Trust me, please do the exercise like this. And then afterwards he actually said that he was so relieved to actually have something honest happen to him because he's been improvising for 11 years and he's wondering why he's not getting any better. Yes. He's been doing classes for a really long time, maybe not 11 years, but a really long time. And he's like, I just, I feel like unless people are going to be really honest with me and start challenging me, how am I going to get better? So I was really glad. I thought I could see he was rattled when I did it, but I'm glad I did it because I heard something then honest from him that I can think about if I ever teach him again. I just have two really quick things that I had written myself a note oh, around. Oh, yes, because so then we have to wrap up. I make sure we want to cover off that. And then um, I reckon there'll be an episode number three too because I reckon we're still scratching this. Not scratching the surface. We're getting deeper and trying to normalize this. And I think that would be almost my number one takeaway. But I wanted to shout out to another person um, who I've only met in the last six months and she's already inspired me. Uh, it's a person called Sharon Morton. And Sharon keeps on reminding me every time we talk about this topic that it's got a lot to do with comparison and how much our society and everything that we create, all the upside of social media and the downside of social media and advertising around our comparison and how inherently unhealthy that is. And yet it's about trying to go back to ourself. What what standards, standards do we set for ourselves? And that's a valid comparison point. But, you know, comparing to everyone else is always going to be fraught. Um, and the other one was, and I reached out to this person ever so briefly because Atlassian, which is a great Australian organisation, has now the global head of diversity and belonging. And How I fabulous. I love that. That is And that great. person is Aubrey Blanche, and I hope I've said your name 
correctly, but I love that term. I and and this is not against the word inclusion, but I think there's something even more meaningful when we actually say this is about creating belonging. Yeah. And that you like that. I love that. Love it. You so did much too. More. Look at your face. And, uh, you know, what a great way to build a really effective company yeah. by yes. making sure that people I mean, belonging talks directly to combating that trust element. Yes. Yeah. Right up front. Yes, it does. And if you can accelerate that for your new employees, people moving into new roles, you're gonna have a far more effective workplace. Yep. I think that's just smart. Yeah. Yeah. Might be a nice place for us to finish it. I love it. Um yeah, last words. Oh, I'm just excited. <laughs> Episode three, here we come. That's right. It's such That's a right. good topic. When you know that everybody suffers from it, we've all suffered from it around the room. Yeah. It's real, but there are tips and ways to come through it. And um, I'm just, you know, really excited about this notion for organisations around diversity and belonging. Yeah. What a fun time to be an employee and what yeah. a fun time to be part and belong to an organisation. Nice. Yeah. Don't you know? Roll with the changes, people. Be be part of the solution. Belong. I love it. That's great. Um, check us out, please. Follow us. LinkedIn. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We are on Instagram. We're on everything. Now. Our Twitters. Um, Leadership of Fools. Thank you, Nat. I'm not very good at Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I Instagram. Reckon. All right. Yeah. Yeah, Facebook's the cool kids aren't using Facebook okay, anymore. Cool. It's All good. Right, uh, thank you so much, Nat Fiam, for joining us thank today. Thank you, Amanda and Colin. Colin Beatty. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm doing Winktober, so I was winking just then. And, uh, yeah, I'm Amanda Buckley. Thank you so much. Leadership of Fools is over and out for today. We make Leadership of Fools because we love it and because we believe that conversations are more important now than ever before. You can help us out by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to know what you think. You can also check out extra content that we upload onto our LinkedIn page at Leadership of Fools. Thanks again once more. And until next time, goodbye.